0: Thanks, Emma. Good morning, everybody. I want to offer some words of explanation regarding these drawings that are on display here and to let you know what we hope to be doing in these slots over the next few weeks. Uh, First of all, it was great to see so many people up here looking at the, the posters and chatting about them, but please be aware that these are not final designs or even approved designs. They're what our architects offered as first thoughts just illustrations of possibilities open to us, either by refurbishing this old lady here and knocking down everything out there or clearing the whole lot away and starting all over again. So please don't come up and say, I don't like what they're doing there because actually nobody's doing anything just yet. Okay? And secondly, today I want to explain to you some of the very practical drivers that are pushing us to do something about our buildings Next week, we'll be looking at the pros and cons, the advantages and disadvantages of either of these options. The next week, we'll be talking about costs, finance, and giving. And finally, we'll cover the decision-making process following on from where we are right now. And hopefully, this will cover a lot of the questions uh, that you have, but please feel free to talk to any of the elders about this. You can drop us a note in the office there, just mark buildings or you can communicate formally on email at buildings at kirkpatrick.com, all lowercase. So what about this morning? Boys and girls especially, I want you to listen up here, because what I'm going to say affects you right now, and maybe in the future. And you won't have to listen to all this building stuff the next few weeks. You'll be able to go out to church, but this morning, just listen up here. There's going to be a big drawing up here on the screen here yes here it comes good that's the one that's just round the corner on the notice board there and uh, it's a big version of that one it was drawn to show just some of the problems that our old buildings have at this moment can you see the blue raindrops on it yeah the blue raindrops mark places where the roofs have been leaking whenever it rains do you remember seeing a basin or a bucket in the middle of the Forbes Hall floor last year, <laughs> that was water coming in from the roof. And just where people hang their coats in the corner, if you look at the bricks, there's all these big stains coming down where water has been running down. And then when you're going out towards the kitchen, you know if you're in the sports hall and you go out either to the loo or to the kitchen to get a drink, there's a door there you go through. Well, if you're not careful when it's raining, you get a big cold drip down the back of your neck. I know that happens, all right? And then there are others. If you go back towards the, 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 the toilets, the girl's toilet has water dripping from the light fitting, all right, which is not terribly clever. The raindrops in the church office up there, if you can see them, they show where a big leak occurred. It came from way up there on the other side of that wall behind the organ pipes, came down through the roof, came down through the Tolland Hall and ran down the walls of the office. It was about that wide, water running down the walls. It was amazing. And then in the minister's room, this was actually filmed one day. There was so much water coming in at the corner. It was dripping off the handle like a waterfall. Now, that's not terribly good, is it? Do you notice big blue snowflakes up there? Can you see them? What do you think they're telling us? Anybody guess? That's a good way of putting it. It's freezing cold out there even in the summertime, okay? And in the wintertime, oh boy, you don't want to be in the kitchen or even in toilets because right above your head, there is no insulation at all. The stuff in your house that keeps you warm just isn't any there. That's why it's so cold. And there's another reason. Just this last year, one day we got an emergency call that water was coming out of our central heating system and we didn't know where it was. We finally found out there are underground pipes that take the hot water to the radiators down in the toilets and down the corridor at the back there and they had burst and the water was going everywhere, but it was underground, what were we going to do? Were we going to dig up the whole floor and excavate down to try to find it? No. We have very clever men who helped us look after the building. And they came along and turned some taps so that all the water that went down to those radiators was cut off and the rest of us could stay nice and warm. But you guessed it, haven't you? See next winter? Try not to go down to those toilets. It'll be really, really cold. There are also flames there. Now, I don't want you to get too excited about flames. It's just there to tell us that we have fire escapes that the fire brigade think aren't really good enough that's because either they're too narrow to let a lot of people out at once or there's just not enough of them that's why when you go out the side there and you're you're going to Sunday school or up the stairs you'll see notices you know there's one at the bottom of the stairs that says no more than 60 people up here at a time that's because it's just a very narrow stair we could have 130 people up there if we wanted to but we're only allowed to have 60 because there's only one way out down those stairs. And then if you go into the, to- the, the Forbes hall at the back of the sports hall, it says, no more than 110 in here, please, when we could have almost 200 people in there. And that's the exact same reason. The one in the minister's room that's shown up there, there's a flame in the minister's room. Okay. It's a wee bit different. You know the green signs that are above the doors here that light up? You know, it shows you a running man and an arrow. That means it's a fire escape, doesn't it? Well, up until a few weeks ago, actually, there was only one of them here at this end of the church. So it meant that if there was a fire back down there on a Sunday morning, we'd all be trying to get out that door over there all at once. It'd be a bit of a crush, wouldn't it? So a few weeks ago, we opened up an old one that was over here. There's now a green sign here. And the band are being very careful to leave a wee passageway through the middle there so you can come up over here out that door into the minister's room turn left push open the big doors there and you're in a yard and then there's a big steel door in the yard which used to be padlocked but now it has a nice handle that you just turn and you're right it's not the best of fire escapes but it works finally there's big orange arrows around there can you see them around the front of the church, down the sides of the church, they're meant to show us that what was once lovely scrabble stone outside here, it looked beautiful, nice and pink and dusky colour, it's now sort of dirty, it's cracking, it's flaking, it's disintegrating. In fact, if you go out the front, as you come in through the door, you know the big blue doors, and there's some carving above it, it looks as if somebody's taken a big rubber, and now it's trying to rub it out on us. It's all starting to fall apart. Now, that's sad, but it's not the sadness that we're worried about. If it keeps on going like that, it'll start to let water into the middle of our big thick walls around the church here, and once it gets in there, well, we have all sorts of problems now. Now, I know that's a lot of doom and gloom, isn't it? It's not a very nice thing to be talking about on Sunday morning, but listen, you, boys and girls, don't have to worry about it, okay? Okay because we grown-ups are going to fix it. We're going to sort it out one way or another. We're going to sort it out because someday maybe you'll be the mums and dads that are running Sunday Club or running the BB or GB. That'll be brilliant if that was the case, and we don't want you to have to worry about things like that then, okay? So, we're going to sort it for you. Now, I know a lot of the older folks have been listening very carefully here, all right? So, I want to say something to them. I hope you realize by now that we can't just sit back and do nothing. That's not an option that we have any longer. We looked at some of these problems about 18 months ago, and we got specialists to look at our stone. Two different companies, two different surveys, they both came to the conclusion that just to fix the stone was going to cost at least £260,000. Just say it quickly, you know, it's, it's all right trouble is, when they get to do it, they'll find more and more, and it could increase. We also looked at, say, putting a new roof over the Forbes Hall, covering it over with a new covering that was insulated. A bit warm, dry, yeah. We also added two new fire escapes. You'll love this. One goes out through the, from the Forbes Hall through what is actually the creche store at the moment. I can see people going, what, what? But I can explain it to you if you want to know. And the other one will be down from upstairs in the Tolland Hall, through the floor of the Tolland Hall, through a new stair, into the minister's room, and then out, okay, the way we talked about a few minutes ago. That brings it up to £560,000. You get in the picture here? There's more. I could list stuff. If we wanted to fix those extra leaks, put insulation everywhere in our buildings, if we wanted to fix the central heating system, we're starting to creep towards £700,000. I could tell you more stuff, and the cost keeps on just ratcheting up and up and up. In other words, to simply maintain the status quo here as far as the church layout and facilities are concerned, but in fact to lose a wee bit because of those two new fire escapes, we are facing a considerable bill. Just to stand still, to be warm and dry, and meet the requirements of statutory regulations. Okay, that's this morning's building's thought for the day. Doing nothing is not an option. If you have any questions questions regarding that, please come and chat to me or drop us a line. We We really do want to be totally open and honest and transparent about all this. So please don't hold back if you want to come and ask questions. And boys and girls, thank you for sitting so well and paying so good attention. Thank you very much. Good morning, again. Uh, Last week, we looked at our present buildings and some of the problems we currently are having to cope with, and you'll remember the message was, doing nothing is not an option. Well, this week, I want to acquaint you with some of the advantages and disadvantages of the two illustrated options here currently under consideration. We'll call them refurbish and extend, which is called option A on some of these uh, pictures here, and new build which is option B. If you've studied the posters at the front here, you'll recognize the next few slides that are coming up. First one here will be the the ground floor of the refurbish and extend option. The purple rectangle that you can see there is this room, which is called the sanctuary on the slides, and the blue shaded areas are the new halls, out the back here, and a single storey welcoming area along the side of the church that stretches right out to the back of the pavement line on the main road. The railings will be all gone at the front of the church. What that would look like from the Upper newton Road is shown in a, in a, a depiction here. Um, yes, our stonework will look that color. Um, at the moment it looks pretty grim. But if you want to see what it really looks like when it's cleaned up, have a look at the front of Knock Presbyterian Church, which has just had a, a bit of work done on it and it, it, looks, it looks quite well. Um, a possible plan for the new build, which is a complete demolition of everything here and starting from scratch again, um, as shown in this next slide. At first glance, it looks very different from what we have at the moment. But actually, when you look closely, same concept, there's a sanctuary roughly in the same position, although it's a different shape. It halls to the rear, and there's a welcoming area going right out to the front again. There's also a first floor version of it here, uh, which also shows that the, the construction that goes to the front can be two storey, right out to the, the, the footpath line. The external appearance, um, somewhat simpler than the, the, the present architecture. But the architect has kept a a tower feature in the front as a sort of a nod to the building that has stood here for the last 100 years. We want the the building to look good but we don't want to look anonymous so he's put a or she's put a bit of a tower there. There are a couple more views one is a pen and ink sketch of what the entrance would look like if you were approaching from Cafe Clements having had your coffee and you're coming towards church that's what it looks like coming to the doors And the second one is showing some of the internal views. They're just sketches, mind you, not all detail there. But you'll notice in the the top one that there's a a, a staircase going up and a permanent coffee dock underneath there. No more gathering at the front, you'd actually have a coffee dock out there. And you'll notice at the back of the sanctuary is a curved glazed wall in this depiction. Uh, The bottom version of it shows inside the sanctuary you will notice that at both wings, the seating is tiered, going up to a balcony level. The center is flat. It'll have chairs rather than uh, pews so that it can be reconfigured. So I sense that this time you're extremely confused. (laughs) Which one is the best one to go for? Well, to choose between them is not a simple exercise, believe me. Um session, i discovered that. So as promised, I'm going to run through some of the advantages and disadvantages that one of the other architects who spoke to us listed for us. He had some ideas as to help us in our decision-making process. So the first one is a list of perceived advantages of each option. We start with the refurbish and rebuild, keeping this here. First of all, we maintain the historic and emotional anchor within the community, he suggested. This refers to the as yet unknown degree of public attachment to this building and their identification with the church buildings as well and back in Ballyhackamore and even maybe further afield. We don't know how deep that is or how important it is, but you have to bear that in mind. There's also congregational reaction, he said. In other words, it's probably a less contentious option. Folk can understandably feel emotional about this. You, you do get attached to buildings. And folk who have known this as their church family home for years have experienced much of God's goodness in here can naturally think, I wanna keep this. So we recognize that. That's something that has to be borne in mind. Also for refurbish and extend, it's a much simpler planning process. I'm sorry this is a bit technical, but it's important that you know this. The church is not a listed building, uh, but the opinion of neighbors can carry significant weight with the planning authority. This proposal for a refurbishment does not make any huge change to what is already in place. That's an important point. The architect also suggested that it was a lower capital cost for that sort of thing. In other words, it seems logical that this would be the case. We're not knocking everything down. We're keeping something. We're not starting from scratch. Most of the structure that we'd be using would already be in place here for the church, but it isn't necessarily cheaper. I have to tell you that. It depends on the nature and the extent of the works included in the refurbishment scheme and the opinion of Her Majesty's revenue and customs. There'll be more of that later. There's more potential for phasing the work. In other words, all the work doesn't have to happen at the same time. It means we could possibly continue to use this sanctuary for a month or two while the stonework was being cleaned and while some demolition will be starting out the back. Those are some of the advantages perceived. What about the new build? Well, the obvious one, a new contemporary image. Buildings do make statements, and that one would say, well, we're not living in the past, we're moving forward. There's improved transparency, more scope to allow the public to see what we do and how we interact with each other when we're here. And as Christoph suggested, that might encourage us to be more aware of and be more involved in our mission to the folk living and working out there in Balahackamore if there was this openness between what goes on here and what's happening out there. It's largely VAT zero rated and therefore all the money used that we gather and is used is used for construction, not for paying tax. This is an important point and helps to make a new build a more cost-effective option. You get more for your money and possibly you could argue it's better stewardship of what God has blessed us with Again, we'll explain a bit more in a few moments about that. A new build has greater energy efficiency. You don't have to be a tree hugger to appreciate that. Leaner and greener will usually mean less running costs. And this may be something that becomes even more important in years to come. Improved functionality, great word. Remember how we considered the quotation by Kurt Churchill a fortnight ago, we shape our buildings And then our buildings shape us. The frustrations experienced by leaders, especially those working with young folk, due to the layout and confines of our present buildings are an unnecessary burden and possibly even a barrier to more effective service for God's kingdom. We can make it better. And then there's lower running and maintenance costs for a new build. That speaks for itself, but perversely buildings that are more versatile and attractive will no doubt be used more often, which is the whole point of it. And that means running costs will rise proportionately and maybe come back to what they are now. Um, However, maintenance will definitely reduce, and that's good news for the grounds for coffee guys. Um, Also, a new build has improved compliance. We talked about this before about fire escapes. A new build solution will deliver on the requirements of health and safety regulations. What about the disadvantages of each option? We'll try to tell you what's good about them. Refurbish and extend, keep this building. There's less opportunity to improve transparency because our present windows and doors are not easily enlarged or repositioned as they are framed in decorative stonework. So there's a wee bit of a a limitation there. There's restrictions because of the existing fabric. Actually, the original materials used and a type of construction. It's massive stone-faced solid brick load-bearing masonry, single-glazed, leaded decorative windows. They don't lend themselves easily to alteration or improvement. There is a VAT risk. This is a big one. It possibly could add an extra quarter of a million onto the costs. And as I'm not an accountant specializing in tax affairs, I'll give you the simplistic explanation. Basically, a new build, standalone building is effectively not subject to VAT. You go out and build a new house, no VAT involved. They are zero rated. On the other hand, refurbishment work, and crucially, extensions are subject to VAT. However, HMRC recognizes that a church hall connected to but not dependent on the main church building can be classified as an annex. An annex is, if used for relevant charitable purposes, are zero rated for VAT. Now, the tricky question is, when does an annex to a building become an extension of that building? Because that changes the whole VAT liability. Our architects are well versed in what HMRC are looking for as they decide on the VAT designation of the church halls. And you can be sure that our welcome area down the side, attached to the side of the church, will be one area of discussion when we show the final proposals to the taxman. Basically, if the two buildings can fulfill their functions totally independent of each other, then we have an argument for classification of this option A as a church and annexed halls. I'm sure we'll be talking about this again later. That's the simple version, by the way. Um, The disadvantage of a refurbish and extend uh, solution is it's difficult to raise the thermal transmission properties of solid walls a non-insulated roof, single-glazed leaded windows, to anything near current standards required in building regulations. It's much more difficult to control heat loss in the refurbished church building. You have to think about this. There's also a greater risk to our budget for a refurbishment exercise. I was chatting to some friends this morning about this, you have to realise that some hidden defects or problems associated with this old building may surface only when work starts in sight. That's quite a common thing, working with older buildings, and it leads to unforeseen extra costs. What we do is we try to allow a contingency sum at the very beginning of going out to, to tender to say that'll cope with that. It may, it may not. The new build, what about the disadvantages of that? Well, potentially, it is a more difficult planning process. This is the flip side of what we earlier referred to as the existing church being a historic and emotional anchor within the community. A new build may meet with resistance in the neighborhood. Also, our architect has warned us that even though our existing church is not a listed building, and the inspectors who assessed it were quite dismissive of its aesthetic value, this can change suddenly when a proposal is made to demolish it. They have experience of four different churches where this happened to them. The architects suggested that a new build had a higher capital cost. It appears logical, but frankly, it depends on what you plan to build, what standard of finishes are included. At present, we're working from a brief that specified this. Simple, durable, plain construction and standards of finish and fittings in keeping with budget limitations, while also providing a warm, attractive, and comfortable environment. We really nailed it down with that. (laughs) The costs for both options are presently at the 2.7 million mark. Now, obviously, as I said, an unhelpful VAT assessment, or the introduction, say, of a a mezzanine floor, another floor over the sports hall, um, would boost this to the 3 million mark, but I don't want to transgress on next week's installment. A new build is more difficult to phase. Uh, In fact, phasing is probably not possible with this option. But it is quicker to build. Our quantity surveyor reckoned 18 months construction for the refurb and extension, and 16 months for a total wipeout and new build. You recall I suggested we could remain in church for maybe a couple of months if we were keeping this while they did the stonework and a bit of demolition. That would mean we were still looking for 16 months temporary accommodation the exact same as with a new build. So I don't honestly think this is likely to be an issue for us at all. And then finally, there's loss of historic image. Yes, that is an unavoidable consequence of knocking it all down. But it's only a disadvantage if we consider this as something that assists us in our work and witness for the kingdom. If being a historic building helps us in our work, knocking it down is a disadvantage. If it doesn't help us, it's totally neutral. So there you have it. The advantages and disadvantages of each option. There may be more. I hope that it helps your thinking about what has been on display and that maybe you'll appreciate how difficult it is for session to decide which course of action to take. Next week's briefing will be on costs, finance, and giving. And I'm not doing that one. <laughs> Thank you very much for your attention.
1: Stephen, thank you. thank you very much for that. Um, as Stephen said, I'm Dave, uh, one of the elders here. I have the privilege of chatting to you this morning about finance. So we're next in our series of connecting church slots on, on building for the gospel. Um, Stephen's been good to squeeze the start of the service this morning, so we have a wee bit more time to take for this. Um, we were very keen that we wouldn't do a kind of four or five minute superficial run through this. So I want to take about maybe 12, 15 minutes to do this this morning, really for two reasons. Uh, first is that we would get into a level of depth on this that maybe we haven't done before. And the second is that we might have a bit of space to think about, that, about all of this. I guess that's the purpose of this, to get us thinking. Uh, not for me to tell you answers, but for us to start thinking about what we, what we have ahead and what that means for giving So thanks, Stephen, for for carving that out. Um, I I guess this is maybe one of the the more difficult of these slots, um, and I could stand up here and say I've I've drawn the short straw, but I do really see this as a privilege, a real responsibility to to chat to you about this stuff. It's serious. It's important. um, I hope I get the tone right in what I say this morning. If I don't, please forgive me for that. But as I say, let's take some time to think about this. Let me ask you a question as we start. If you had to stand up in front of a big group of people and ask them for a big sum of money, how would you approach it? What would you do? Um, As you can imagine, I've given that question quite a bit of thought over the last few weeks preparing for today, and where I got to is this. There needs first to be a reason to give, and then second, there has to be an ability to give. So a reason to give and an ability to give. And as we think about Kirkpatrick at this point in its history, I believe we have both of those things, both a reason and the ability to give. Before I go on any further, I want to be really clear about something before I just dive into this. I'm going to talk about us being a well-off group of people. And that's right, But that isn't the case for absolutely every one of us. Some of us struggle financially. Some of us struggle to make ends meet. And some of us won't be able to give anything extra. If that's you, let, hear me say, that you are no less part of this family, no less part of this project or this mission, if that's you. There are other people here people who are very well-off, and they can give two, three, five, ten times some of the amounts that we might mention. And those people are no less part of this family, So, no more part of this family, no more part of this mission, no more part of this project. So what you can give doesn't matter. It's a personal thing, but I think as a whole, we're well-off. We are in a position to give. That, that's really important as we start. So let me come back to those two things, a reason to give and, and the ability to give. First thing, the reason. We believe this building project is what God is calling us to here at this point in the life of Kirkpatrick. The elders have been thinking about these buildings for, I'm sure, more than 10 years. And during that time, we've done all we can to maximize what we have here. The stage in the main hall was removed to make some much-needed storage. The Whitley Hall was created from a corridor and a bit of the main hall. We bought the fudge factory for much-needed office space and the youth room downstairs. We've done pretty much all that we can with the buildings that we have. And as Billy explained a couple of weeks ago, we're now at a point where we need to spend about three-quarters of a million pounds just to maintain what we have to make it compliant with regulations And if we do that, we actually lose some of the accommodation. Or we can do something more substantial. And we've prayerfully considered that, and we've come to a point where we now believe that to best steward what God has given us, both in terms of our resources and the mission that we have here, that we need to embark on this big building project, this fundamental building project. But you might say that we are reluctant builders I haven't seen anyone here who really wants to build people aren't starting in this process because they think they'll really enjoy it we're starting on this journey because we're convinced that God has called us to be his presence in Ballyhackamore today and into the future and that if we're going to be that we need to do something substantial with our buildings So I need to move on from that, but that is the reason for us to give. God has called us to be his people here in Ballyhackamore today and into the future. And we think that to do that, we need to do something with our buildings. Second thing then is we need the means to give. We need the ability to give. Um, As I said in the introduction, please hear this as a message for us as a group, not, not for individuals. But we are well off. If you think of the jobs that we do, the homes we live in, the clothes we wear, cars we drive, what we spend on our kids, we as a group are on average well off. And together we have the ability to release this money. could be up to three million pounds, but we have the ability over the coming years to release that money. So I believe we have a reason to give. I believe we have the ability to give. And that's why I can stand here this morning confidently in front of you and and ask you for this money. To help us think this morning about our own giving, I'm gonna ask you three questions. Uh, But before I do that, let me just point out two other things. First, and, and you might have heard I've used the word releasing there. I think this is about releasing money, not raising it. A couple of weeks ago, I spent an evening with the new communicants class looking at the vows that new members of the church make. And part of that vow is a commitment to give a fitting proportion of our time, our talents, and our money to the church. And that was a really timely reminder for me of that commitment to give all of those things, time, talents, money. They're all relevant to a building project. This morning, we're thinking more about the money. We have access, as I've said, to significant resources between us. We don't need to spend lots of time looking outside ourselves to raise money. We just need to release it. And in a way, I think that simplifies what we're doing here. The second thing is I want to challenge an assumption that Kirkpatrick is a rich church. As I've said already, lots of us have above average. Income, but as a church, as an organisation, we aren't rich. Next week will be the AGM, um, and not to spoil it for you, but the the general account, whenever you see the financial reports, will show a deficit of about twenty thousand pounds, and that's based on pretty modest expenditure. I think the reality is we give pretty modestly here. That's maybe controversial to say, but I think we've formed a view consciously or or unconsciously, that Kirkpatrick is well off and doesn't need our money. If I think of my own circumstances, up until now, we've given about a third of our total giving to Kirkpatrick. The rest, we've given elsewhere. Kirkpatrick has never made big demands of us for our money. And I wonder if we've all kind of just adjusted our giving accordingly. If you took 10% of household giving as, as a yardstick and looked at the income level of Kirkpatrick, that working backwards would take us to a point where in every one of our families one person is working and that person is earning the minimum wage. I'm not trying to guilt us into giving money, I'm not saying we shouldn't give elsewhere, but I wonder if we reflect on that. Actually, we've given much less to Kirkpatrick than we could or maybe maybe should. So I flagged those things and there's something a bit uncomfortable there for us, isn't there? But I want to ask you three things as, as you think about your own giving. The first is, are you giving? The second... What are you giving? And thirdly, what are you giving up? So, are you giving? What are you giving? And what are you giving up? Firstly, are you giving? If you're a member here, you'll have made the vow that I mentioned. You'll have made a commitment to give a fitting proportion of your money. The question then isn't should we give, but how much should we give? some of us aren't giving anything currently, and I want to just flag that before we move on. Next week at the AGM, buried somewhere in the annual report, it'll show that during 2018, 227 people contributed to the church here, and our number of families is about 319. So, of course, some may give into the loose collection, and so we're not putting a number on that, but I think it's clear that some of us aren't giving. I don't want to dwell on that point, but I just need to flag it. Maybe you've joined recently, you haven't got round to giving yet, or maybe that thing I mentioned about Kirkpatrick being a well-off church and you've just decided to give everything somewhere else. We need everyone to give, and if that's something that you're not doing at the moment, please do that. Secondly, then, what are you giving? This question of what is a fitting Proportion. Numbers will be mentioned from the front. I know Christoph has done that quite helpfully in the past. But they'll only ever be by way of illustration. We will never prescribe an amount for you to give from the front. We're not asking you to give a certain amount, but asking you to give a fitting proportion. And as I do that, I want to challenge this idea of a fitting proportion. I think that idea must be influenced, yes, by our own financial circumstances but also by the financial circumstances of the church. So what was a fitting proportion last year might not be the same this year, next year, the year after. I mentioned before about our own giving. So Helen and I, we currently give about a third to Kirkpatrick. We give another third to good friends who are missionaries out in Albania. And the final third goes to places like Tear Fund and SU and Big House and, and other things. As we move into this new season of church life as far as financial needs are concerned, the fitting proportion changes, and and this is something we're prayerfully considering, but I reckon it's maybe about three times what we're currently giving to Kirkpatrick for us. Um, So we need to look at our current giving. Some of that won't change. We're not going to stop giving to our friends who are missionaries. But for some of that other giving, we might, for a season, pause it and, and give it to Kirkpatrick. But even with that, we'll still have to give more and that leads me to the question what are you giving up if we're adjusting the total amount that we give because that fitting proportion of our giving has changed and i think for most of us that that should be the case the increase will come from that combination of redirecting but also extra giving if we're going to give more what will we give up Um, here's a couple of things you will be much more creative than me in thinking about ways that we might make a sacrifice. Maybe you delay changing your car or or move to having one car. Maybe you put less in the savings or take some of those savings out. What do we spend on coffee and eating out and the clothes that we wear? What about our phone? How much do we pay each month for that? Could we move to sim only? If you get a bonus from your work, could you give that? What about a gym membership that you don't use? and um, As I say, just examples, but there must be lots of areas in our life where we could free up some money to give it here. As I finish, let me focus specifically on the needs of this building project. The options being considered by session at the moment, these two, a rebuild or a refurbish, are each estimated the cost in a region of £3 million. The bare minimum, which Billy talked to us about a couple of weeks ago, three-quarters of a million pounds. Our current buildings fund in the church is about £120,000. So whatever our target becomes, we'll need to give a big chunk up front, and we'll then need to think what is our ongoing giving. To hit that big amount, that initial bit, um, we reckon maybe a third of the total we might might need up front. Um, We're going to have to look at our savings, our investments, um, a bonus, whatever whatever that might be, is there a way that we can release some money straight away. It's been really encouraging on that to to see already, some people giving big one-off gifts, hearing as well of others renewing their mortgage and and keeping a bit back to give here. if we give what we can comfortably afford, we'll never get that number. That's a scary number, isn't it? We'll never get there. So what is your big upfront sacrifice to, to what we're doing here? And the second bit then is our ongoing giving. I played about with a few figures and came up with a number of £66 on average per family per month. Christoph, I know he's done it before, the number he used was £100. Of course that's an average some will be able to do less, some much more. But could you give an extra £30, an extra £40, 60 100 £200 a month? So that's, that's my ask of us all this morning. How much will we give up front? How much in the next year will we, will we give? And then how much will we give in an ongoing way? So let me wrap up there. We have been called to come to this church at this time to be God's people in Hackamore. We've committed to giving a fitting proportion of our income here and collectively we have the resources to make this happen. So please prayerfully consider what you might be able to give. I don't have standing order forms for you this morning to sign. I'm not going to post people on the doors handing them out. What I'd ask you to do is go away and think about that. Pray it through and make a bold decision about what you'll do, and then in the coming weeks we'll provide you with the forms, the details, whatever you need to make that happen. Thank you.